children may be dismissed to junior church. And in a moment, we're going to be going to Genesis chapter 9. And because of a few donations, uh, anonymous donations, and uh, one major one who just approached me, uh, pulled out one of our pew Bibles, and it wasn't in too good a condition. And that prompted us to get new pew Bibles. And they're all in the same translation I've been using lately, which is the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a literal but readable translation. And so if you want to follow along, which I always encourage you to do, um, you can pull out the pew Bible and follow along in the same in the same translation I'm using. Of course, you can also follow along in your own Bible or, uh, or your Bible app, but it's on page six. We're really deep into the Bible today. We're going to be on page six in the Pew Bibles today uh, as we look at Genesis chapter nine here in just a moment. So and why don't we think of pets and animals? We've been preaching through uh, Genesis chapters one through 11 showing that these are foundational scriptures to our walk with the Lord and foundational to the whole Bible. Genesis chapters 1 through 11, foundational to the whole Bible. And we get into a passage today, which is going to get into a little bit of a biblical worldview of what it means to be human and a distinction between humanity and animals. We've lost that a little bit today. It's not that animals don't matter. It's just that we're not the same. I remember watching Twilight Zone when I was a kid. Any of you see the Twilight Zone? The old one. No, I've never seen the new one. The old one. It was on a channel on TV. And uh, <clears throat> I'm old enough that I remember the original one. No, I don't. Um, it was on reruns. And uh, there was one episode where a man dies... And he's walking with his dog. I guess his dog, I think it was, his dog jumped in a lake. And he jumped in after trying to save the dog. And they both drowned. His hunting dog. They both drowned. And they're walking up. And they see a gate. And they said, this is heaven. But your dog's not allowed in here. Your dog's not allowed in here. But it's heaven. And the dog is... Barking at the person or growling. He's not too happy about this heaven anyways. And the man says, well, if my dog's not allowed, I'm not going. And he keeps walking on down this trail. And he comes upon St. Peter or someone. And they said, no, this is heaven. And your dog's allowed in. And the point of the story is, uh, of course, dogs matter. And it's the twilight zone. And, and animals do matter. But we see a distinction in this passage that we're going to look at in Genesis 9 of what it means to be human and a separation between humanity and animals. And that's a distinction that we're still struggling with as a society today. That's why it matters having a biblical worldview, viewing the world through the lens of the Bible. In the summer of 2005, the London Zoo posted a sign in front of their newest exhibit reading, Warning Humans in Their Natural Environment. Humans in their natural environment. Now, what would the natural environment in a zoo for humans look like? Well, the article says the exhibit featured eight homo sapiens in a sealed enclosure adjacent to another sealed enclosure of various primates. The human captives, scare quotes around captives, the human captives were chosen from an online contest and spent their time sunning on a rock ledge, playing board games, and waving to spectators. A signboard informed visitors about the species' diet, 
habitat, worldwide distribution, as well as threats, the species being humans. The goal of the exhibit, according to zoo spokesperson Polly Wills, was to downplay, downplay the uniqueness of human beings as a species. Seeing people in a different environment among other animals, said Wills, teaches members of the public that the human is just another primate. What's the Bible say about that? What's the biblical worldview of that? Are we just another primate? Are humans the same as any other species, any other animal? Tom Mahoney, one of the participants in the exhibit, agreed. He said, a lot of people think that humans are above other animals, he said. When they see humans as animals here, it kind of reminds them that we're not that special. What a contrast to the biblical promise that human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Human beings are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. What, what a contrast between what God teaches us in Genesis. Genesis 9 reaffirms that we are not just another primate. Genesis 9 reaffirms a distinction, a special distinction between human beings and animal life. Now, it doesn't, that's not to downplay the importance of animal life, but it is to, to, to show the significance of human beings. And that's why Genesis 9, as well as Genesis chapters 1 through 11, matter in the scriptures. So we're going to begin to wrap up the narrative about Noah. We've been talking about Noah for a couple months. It might seem like a couple years now, but we did take a break for Memorial Day, Mother's Day, Resurrection Sunday, Palm Sunday. So it's not as long as it seems, but we're going to begin to wrap up the narrative of Noah in the next couple weeks. And, and, and we're in a series, as I've stated, on Genesis chapters 1 through 11, showing how these are foundational to our faith. We find the principles, the promises, the, the ideas that are in Genesis chapters 1 through 11 throughout the rest of the Bible. So if we take them out or take a pair of scissors to them and cut them out, it affects the rest of the scriptures. So today we see a passage in which God gives instructions to Noah and also God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Noah. By the way, also, this is the first passage in the Bible in which we see someone build an altar. We see Noah build an altar. We see what's called the Noahic Covenant. So my theme is God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Noah. So I'm going to summarize the first seven verses, and then we're going to read verses 8 through 17 as I talk about them. But what we're going to see here is Noah is the vice regent. Noah is the vice regent. So let's put this in context. The flood is over. They have left the ark. God had reassured them that seasons will continue or maybe begin. It's quite possible that seasons did not exist before the flood as we know them today. And God reassures them in Genesis 8, 20 through 22, that seasons will begin or continue. The flood is over. And now God is blessing Noah. God tells Noah to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And this is much like his message to Adam. And this is another amazing, very important principle for the rest of Scripture and for today as well. The principle, the promise of being fruitful and multiplying. Like Adam and Eve, they are vice regents. They are ruling the earth under the Lord God. And if you see Genesis 128, 
We see the idea of being fruitful and multiplying and rolling, rolling over the earth. And God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. That is still a promise that's very important today. And I've been challenged by that in the last uh, 15 or so years. I always hear Chuck, the Chuck Colson's successor who took over the Colson Center for Biblical Worldview, uh, John Stone Street. And as he's talking to students all over the country and all over the world, and they say things like, we want to get married, but we don't really want to have children. And he'll say, well, then you probably shouldn't get married. Children are a blessing, not a curse. That's what the scriptures teach. We're in a day and age where children are becoming a curse rather than a blessing. Children are looked upon as a curse, not a blessing. Children are looked upon as a burden because we are a very, very, very selfish world. It's becoming, there was a book written around 11, 12, 13 years ago, What to Expect When No One's Expecting. What to expect when no one's expecting. We're not having enough children to even continue our own economy. We know what's coming because we see it in Europe. We see it in Japan. We see it in China. We see it in these other countries. For the longest time, China had a one-child-only policy where they forced abortion uh, on, on, on um, any children beyond the one. They were state-mandated abortions. And now they're suffering because of it. Russia is having its problems with that as well. Actually, Russia is having increasing problems because the war with Ukraine. They're losing so many soldiers, but they've also had a perpetual ongoing problem of not having enough children. So whole cities are becoming uh, wastelands, desolated because they don't have enough people. What God is saying here is be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Children are a good thing. Children are a blessing. Babies are a blessing. They're a burden sometimes, but they teach us a lot, right? They teach us sacrifice, and they bring joy, and they bring so much. And God is telling here, them here, post-flood, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. So now the animals outnumbered people, and God placed a fear of man into animals. God placed the fear of man into animals. I like what Andy Crouch writes. Andy Crouch says, There is simply no other creature in the world that harbors the ambition to be like God, except for image bearers. No other creature in the whole world harbors the ambition to be like God, except for image bearers, except for human beings. Next time you're at the zoo, try approaching an elephant, cheetah, or crocodile and whispering to them, you shall be like God. Try that. Go to the zoo. Get real close to the cage. Whisper to them, you shall be Not only will they regard you with indifference or possibly faint stirrings of hunger, you will have a hard time not laughing. For all their grandeur and power, the world's creatures just do not give the faintest evidence of wanting to be something other than a well-fed version of what they already have, what they already are. Andy Crouch says, I will admit there is a partial exception, cats. But cats give every sign of already considering themselves equal to God. And thus they are supremely, serenely free of petty human traits like ambition. Isn't that true of cats? I like to jog. I'm a jogger now, not a runner. I once read that if you're faster than a 10-minute mile, you're a runner. If you're slower, 10-minute mile, you're a jogger. So I'm a jogger. And I used to be able to run, though. And I'd run in these country roads. I still do sometimes. Once it was no running past this pasture, and there were cows in that pasture. And I always like that. I always look at the animals. I'm looking at these cows. 
And one of the cows looks at me and he starts to walk towards me. And I just wanted to go pet the cow, but I didn't. And a friend told me later on, he said, all that cow saw in you was a source of food. Not to eat me, (laughs) but to feed it. And I like watching these nature shows, especially shows about catastrophes. Like there's one on National Geographic recently I've referenced before called Something Bit Me. And it's about rattlesnake bites and, and polar bear attacks and all, all kinds of exciting things like that, right? And um, mountain lion attacks. And they have scientists that talk and they repeatedly say the same thing. Animals do not want to attack human beings. They usually will not attack human beings. God, and, and that goes right along here with Genesis 9. God placed a fear of humanity into animals. Something funny about that, even to this day, where what my dad said to me about the spider is still true. They are more afraid of you than you are of them. They run the other way. I run through Poland woods and I want to see a black bear. I've never seen one. I've seen them on the news lately. Don't know if you've heard about it. There's bear all over here. Haven't seen one yet. They run away, they hide. Noah and humanity are the masters of the earth. Again, the vice region. And, and, and this includes animals and vegetation. Humans, humans were originally vegetarians, but now God is telling them they can eat meat. So if you like meat, you like a good steak, you like all that stuff, that all goes back to Genesis 9. Because if you go back to the beginning, you go back to Genesis 2.17 uh, and Genesis 1.29, they ate the seeds and the vegetables. And I kind of wonder, in a pre-flood world, I think the world was different. Maybe at that time, the world could sustain enough vegetation for all of humanity to be vegetarians and all of creation to be vegetarians. But now in a post-flood world, everything's different. And they wouldn't be able to have enough vegetables for everyone, enough fruits, enough nuts, all that stuff. So they had to eat meat. And just a thought. There is an exception right here. God tells them they are not to eat the blood. Life is in the blood. One source here is because of the carnage produced by the flood, people might conclude that life is cheap and therefore treat it lightly. But, but, but God will not permit them to kill or even to eat anything with the lifeblood still in it, serving as a reminder of the sanctity of life. Life is in the blood. And we see right here the principle of the sanctity of life. They are not to drink the blood. They're not to eat the blood. The Moody Bible commentary shares a reference in this passage to the idea of the image of God. Uh, the first reference uh, uh, to this passage. This, this is the first reference to the idea of the image of God in a post-fall world. All right? We were called the image bearers of God before sin entered the world. And now in Genesis 9, after sin had entered the world, after sin had spread all over the world, after sin had caused this global flood, God is calling humanity once again the image bearers of God. This establishes beyond any doubt, not only that the image of God is still present in humanity, it's still present. Even after sin entered the world, even after the flood, humanity still represents the image of God. And this also shows that every single human being is an image bearer of God. Male and female and every single ethnicity is an image bearer of God. You harm a human being, you are harming an image bearer of God. That's why God told them not to make any idols. We are the visual image of God. 
It seems that verse 5 in Genesis 9 is introducing the prohibition against murder and also capital punishment. Notice again, as I've said, man is made in the image of God, and therefore that's why you can't kill a human being. You're hurting the image of God. To hurt a human being is to hurt the image of God. And this is about the biblical worldview of man and woman and what it means to be human. As I said, they are to be fruitful and multiply. The ESV study Bible shares this positive view of population growth stands in sharp contrast to the Babylonian flood story. As I shared before, other ancient people groups had flood stories too. One was in the Babylonian Talmud. And in the Babylonian flood story, it ends with the gods taking measures to inhibit mankind from filling the earth. And this here is the opposite. God commands them, fill the earth, multiply, have children. The phrase be be fruitful and multiply is repeated from verse one. The CSB shares God's blessing of humanity in Noah's day begins and ends with the command to be fruitful and multiply. This repetition underscores the sacredness and desirability of human reproduction within God's plan. So now Adam and Eve are vice regents ruling the earth under God. And now we see the covenant. In verses 8 through 17, we see God's covenant with Noah. Let's read verses 8 through 10. This is Genesis 9, again, page 6 in your pew Bible if you want to read along. Uh, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. So God is establishing his covenant, his formal agreement with humanity. But this covenant is not only with humans. Again, we see a distinction between humans and animals right here. But we also see that this covenant is not only with Adam and Eve. It's, I mean, Adam and Eve. It's not only with Noah and his family. It's not only with humans, it's with all of the animal life in all of the world. God is speaking to Noah and his sons. This covenant is with Noah and his sons and their descendants, literally seed after them. One source shares, these verses are the formal conclusion of the covenant first mentioned in Genesis 6.18. The initial expression of the covenant unconditionally offered safety in the ark to Noah's family. That was Genesis 6.18. In the style of a royal grant or unilateral agreement, this portion of the Noahic covenant unconditionally promises that there will never again be a flood of the same destruction as this one. God is making a covenant that there will never be a flood like this. There will never, ever be a worldwide flood like this again. This covenant is still in effect today. In Genesis 9, 1 to, in Genesis 9, 9 to 15, God says five times, five times that the covenant is between him and all the creation of the earth. Again, including animals. Now look at verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you. That never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is now the covenant. All flesh, all flesh, all animals and humanity shall never again be cut off by water like the flood. Never a flood to destroy the earth. In Genesis 8, 21, God has said that he will never again curse the ground like this again. And now in verses 12 through 13, and God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you 
and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. God is setting his bow, his rainbow, we might call it, in the clouds. Now, this is an interesting sign of the covenant. One source shares an everlasting covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. It's a, it's a covenant for perpetual generations, one which shall extend to all ages, even to the end of the world. The Net Bible shares the Hebrew word keshet. Keshet is used here for bow, and it normally refers to a warrior's bow. A warrior's bow. Some understand this to mean that God, the warrior, hangs up his battle bow at the end of the flood, indicating he is now at peace with humankind. I like that. It's an interesting image. The flood is over. God hangs up his bow, his battle bow. And it's saying God has flooded the earth and he is now at peace with humankind. The battle is over. The bow is in the sky. And any time you question it during a major rainstorm, look and you see that bow in heaven, in, in the skies, and that's a sign of the covenant. Now, others don't believe that's what's intended here. There's differences of agreement there. Verses 14 and 15. God says, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. This is God's covenant with us. God says, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God is making a covenant. And oftentimes when there's a covenant, there's a sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant is this bow in the sky. And God talks about himself seeing the bow and remembering the covenant. God shall never again use water to destroy all flesh. God oftentimes talked about remembering the covenant in Leviticus 26.42 and Leviticus 26.45 and Deuteronomy 7.9 and Ezekiel 16.60. God also talks about remembering the covenant. Now look at verses 16 and 17. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The bow is in the clouds. And this, re- this is a reminder. This is a everlasting covenant. It's still in effect today. Let's make some applications and some review. God continues to reaffirm his love and support for Noah. The flood is over, and God continues to reaffirm his love and support for Noah. God continues to reaffirm his love and support for Noah's family and humans. You know, we must trust and worship God. God is faithful. God is still faithful to us. God put the fear of humans in every animal. We saw that in Genesis 9 too, didn't we? This shows God's protection of humanity. God's protection of humanity. This also shows that humans are not equal to animals. God created humans in his image. This teaches a lot about what it means to be human. We are created in the image of God. Though we are not to abuse animals, we are on a different level, a different scale from animals. We are image bearers of God. By the way, we see here that it's okay to eat meat. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. We are not to eat the blood, though. We see that in verse 4. And that, that idea of not eating the blood comes up throughout the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Life is in the blood. 
We are not to take human life. And for those that take human life, there's a penalty. We see that in verses 5 and 6. God makes an everlasting covenant with Noah. We see that in verses 8 through 17. This covenant is still in place. We can trust God that he will never again flood the whole earth. Never again flood the whole earth. God is good. The problem is that many of his children are ungrateful. Quick to complain about what they don't have. But slow to give thanks for what they do. I think that applies to all of us. God is good. Many of us are ungrateful. Quick to complain about about what we don't have. And slow to give thanks. A little boy went to a little boy went grocery store shopping with his mother. They were in the checkout line, and the grocer asked the mother if he could offer her son some candy. The mother agreed. Sure, you can offer my son some candy. As a gro- as a grocer held out the candy jar, encouraging the boy to reach in, the little boy shook his head. The man stretched out the jar a little further and told the boy he could take as much as he would like. The boy continued to say no. With a confused look on his face, the grocer gave one last effort to get the boy to reach in and take some of the candy. The boy finally said, I want you to give it to me. The boy said, I want the grocer to give it to me. The grocer happily took some candy out of the container and handed it to the boy who quickly offered his thanks. So the grocer reaches his hands in, grabs the candy out, gives it to the boy. The boy says, thank you. When he and his mother, the boy and his mother were in the car and on their way, she curiously asked, why wouldn't you take the candy? Why wouldn't you take the candy from the grocer? Why did you tell him to give the candy to you? Her son replied, because mama, His hands were bigger than mine. (laughs) Smart boy. He understood that the hands of the source were bigger. The hands of the source were bigger. If God's children would simply let him be God, they would soon discover that his hands are bigger than their own. (laughs) Amen. Thanks, Don. God's hands are bigger than ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great and awesome promises and your covenant that we see here in your scripture. Your covenant with Noah to never flood the world in that way again. Your covenant with all of humanity, all of Noah's descendants, your uh, your covenant with the animal life, and your further covenant with Abraham and Moses. And David, and you sent the Savior, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and rise again. Lord God, I pray that we are trusting in you as Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day of surrender, surrendering to you, confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you as a one and only Savior, trusting and committing confessing, believing, trusting, and committing. May we believe that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. May we firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say, 
And may we arrange our affairs around you, that we firmly and seriously make the decision to be with you, live in a relationship with you, Lord, in order to become like you, become like King Jesus, to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. Lord God, there might be some here who have never committed to you. Maybe they believe, but they're not committed to you. May today be the day they commit to you. There might be others here who committed a long time ago, but they're not living for you. May they rededicate their life to you today and make a commitment to live in a relationship with you. And may they say that in a simple prayer, telling you, Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I'm committing my life to you. Lord God, help us all living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said a prayer to commit your life to Christ today, share it with me. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents and so should we. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, never hesitate to talk to me. As the praise team comes up and leaves the closing song, they're already up there. The altars are open. If God has laid anything on your heart, anything, not just, uh, I shouldn't say not just, sin issues are a big deal and committing to Christ is a big deal. But sometimes we think of coming to the altars as only if we're committing our life to Christ. That too, yes, but maybe something's heavy on your heart, an emotional need, anxiety, depression, or maybe praying for, praying for somebody, a family or a friend to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, or maybe someone you know is dealing with cancer and you want somebody to pray with you for them, or, or maybe you're a caregiver and you're just overwhelmed or, or, or you're searching for a job, anything, come forward and we'll have at least a few people here who'd be glad to pray with you.